Hey, let's try this again. Let's. Yeah, let's do this one more time. Wow, talk about technical difficulties. Holy crap with the technical difficulties. <laughs> My gosh. So this is what now, the the third time? we're No, this is like the fourth time that we're actually doing the start of this show, but it's the second time that we're recording the entire show. Yes. Because of really really horrible technical difficulties technology just changing <laughs> settings on its own inside I, the computer yeah, yeah. <laughs> doing what it wants so for all you technical geeks out there i did an update to my computer uh it's windows 10 whatever the latest update is messed up my my entire audio program and all its settings for some reason and uh it took a little bit of uh finagling to get them back and of course i didn't know they were messed with until after we recorded this episode well, we once already issues. well and yeah. then by the time we thought it was all set <laughs> and thought. then we recorded it and after we're like oh that e- sounds horrible yeah so we're going to do this again so so if you watch us on youtube you'll see that the episode is different from yeah. what you're hearing so it's kind of like two episodes it's sort of the same but not quite it, it, we're going to be talking about the exact same stuff. Yeah, but it'll be so, a little different. Uh, all right. Like, <laughs> I don't know how it's going to be much different other than us, like this kind of stuff, but whatever oh. you say, my lady. I'm anyway, trying to find the bright side. Anyhow, I'm Alex Arion. I'm here with my beautiful, lovely, gorgeous, amazing trophy wife, the lovely Monique, and this is the Home Record Podcast. Take missing 411. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't even take know. Take 411. Yeah, take 411. So yeah, this week we're talking about we're back to the missing four one one. We're we're talking about some strange disappearances from the state of Washington. Yes, but before we get into that, yeah, there's some stuff, some stories I want to oh, share. Oh, that's right. Okay, well uh, let's go through these again. Okay, well I for forgot to mention <laughs> this one when we first recorded, so All this right. won't be on the um, video if you watch it. But I was outside making organite. And I was meditating, setting my intentions into the piece I was working on. And when I opened my eyes, there was this little squirrel and it was right in front of me. I just started walking over to my feet because I am usually like I'm bare feet with my feet in the ground. And it started walking over and it was less than a foot away. And then I was thinking like, this is crazy. I've never had a squirrel get this close to me. Am I going to be able to touch it? And so it's just like, hi. And I opened my stupid big mouth and it ran away. It's like it was in a trance. And I don't know if like my meditation, it kind of like got on that like vibration and was just kind of into it. And then I opened my mouth and it was like, oh shit, wait a minute, human run. And so it ran off, but it was really cool. It was like inches away from me. Yeah. You didn't tell me that story. So, yeah, I forgot thanks. to mention that. But then this was my really exciting story I wanted to share. All right, go crazy. 
at another point, <laughs> I was outside making... Same day, right? S- no, this was a different day. Different day, okay. Different day. Different day, all right. Um, I was making Organite, and I'm outside, and I look, and under our deck, we have like a slab of concrete, and then it goes to the yard. And I see something moving, and I look, and I'm like, what's on the concrete? It's a little bee. Uh, and I'm like, is it okay? It w- was moving weird, like it was injured. So I go over and I couldn't see any physical injuries, but it just seemed like something was wrong. And I'm thinking like, okay, this poor little bee, it's this cute, sweet little honeybee. And I'm like, okay, how can I help her? So I pick her up and I bring her over to a clear part of my table and I put her down and I think, I'm going to get her some water. Maybe she's thirsty. Oh, and before I did that, actually on the concrete, I sprinkled shungite powder Because I thought maybe if she's lost, if like 5G threw her off or something, or there was EMF throwing her off, maybe that could help. So I sprinkled a little shungite powder and she like walked through it and picked some up. And then I picked her up, put her on the table and I ran and I got some water. And I have these like popsicle sticks for crafting, but I put like a, a little bit of water on it. So it was something clean to drink off of and she wasn't interested. So I thought, okay, what else? Maybe, maybe she's hungry I have honey from where I get all of my um, beeswax from the local apiary. So I run inside. First, I ran inside to get water. And you're looking at me like, uh, okay. And then I'm running inside to get honey. So I'm sure that was weird too. But I have a little dab of honey on a clean popsicle stick. And I bring it down. And she came right over. And she like stuck her little bee tongue out and started eating it up. And she hung out with me for like 15, 20 minutes. And it was funny because she seemed okay, but she wasn't flying. So I was singing to her and I swear she was like wiggling her little like bee body (laughs) and like till I was singing to her. And the whole time I'm thinking, okay, what do I do if... If she can't fly, if something's wrong with her, how do I help her? Do I take her inside? Do I like set up like a little home for her for tonight and just make sure she has honey and water? Do I call the apiary and and see if they can help her? Like I'm trying to think of all these things of how I can help this little bee. And then like once I finally kind of make a plan, she flies off. But the best part, she flies into the backyard and we have a white fence And at like the first post on the corner, there's this giant spider web. She flew right to the giant spider web. So then I'm looking at her like, did you get stuck? (laughs) And so I'm like, oh no, I think she's stuck. So I go over and I'm trying to help her because I don't want her little legs getting torn off from being stuck on the web. But she seemed okay. I got her. And I'm just like, I think you need to go home to your hive now. And I was going to bring her over to a flower. And then she flew off again. But. She came back three times to say hi to me. And I just thought that was so cool. I got to help a little bee. Yeah, that is pretty neat. And when you showed me the videos, I was very, I guess, what's the word? Impressed with you. And also just fascinated by the fact that the bee had a tongue. That I yeah, could see it, it was which so I, I never cool. knew bees had tongues. I have I didn't pictures. Know how that works. Yeah, I have pictures on my social media, my Twitter and my Instagram. So if you follow me, or if you don't, you can follow me. But go on, and you can see the pictures. Well, what's your Instagram or Twitter or whatever? My handle? Instagram is Tarot by Monique, 
And my Twitter is underscore Monique Giselle, M-O-N-I-Q-U-E-G-I-S-E-L-E underscore. That way people know how to follow you is all yes. I'm saying. No, okay. absolutely. So I have pictures and I think I'm going to try to embed some of the video I took on our YouTube video for this episode as Great. well. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. So that was just some really neat stuff that I wanted to share because I thought it was really cool. And again, like I said, I just thought like, holy smokes, how cool is it? Like the universe brought this little bee in front of me to notice and to help. Definitely cool. Yeah, for sure. I love bees. Yeah, bees are cool. They're they're very important to they, they're super our important ecosystem and everything. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was yep. pretty, save pretty the neat. bees. Don't be afraid of them. Don't swat at them. Yeah, leave them alone. They'll probably mm-hmm. leave you alone. Yeah, just stand still. Anyhow, go away. Moving on. Yes. Okay. Missing four one one. Yes. So back to missing four one one. So we got a couple of cases we're going to talk about. Yes. So if you go to the book, um, Western United States and Canada, it's the first missing four one one book that came out. Yes. And we're focusing on Washington. Going through this, there are a few things that I noticed about Washington. It was mostly now. Let me first start the range that was given was from 1932 to 2009 in that time frame it was mostly males just in washington though yeah for washington okay only six of them were over 18 and there's a lot of kids involved and young like younger kids and i thought that was weird because usually there's a good mix of kids and adults but yeah i've never actually tried to figure out if it was more you know, like an age range. I've never really looked at I've noticed uh, all different ages, but yeah. so for the state of Washington, you think it, it was a it lot of... It just really stuck out to me. There were a so lot of kids. A lot of kids, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, it makes sense that kids would go missing more than adults, especially in the woods. Mm. They're, you know, if, if a parent's not watching them, it's very easy for them to wander off. Yeah. No, absolutely. So, but anyhow. And, and one of the things, like with the stories that I chose, Reading through where there are a lot of children, it's very difficult for me, like as a person, as a mother, as an empath, reading about kids that they can't find or kids that they found the remains of, that was really difficult to read. And so I know that, you know, the way I chose the stories was something that wouldn't be as difficult to read because I don't want to start like crying while I'm talking, yeah. telling a story. No, I, I get it. I get it. And and that's, that's the thing I don't like about reading these two is when you're reading, especially about younger kids mm-hmm. and, and being a father of younger children. Yeah. It's, it's tough because you just kind of try to imagine, geez, what, what if that was my child? Mm-hmm. What would I do? Oh, what, yeah. what would I be thinking? What would I be doing? You know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely. It, I, I get it. It's, it's tough. So, so you selected how many stories we have today? I have four. Great. Mm-hmm. All right. So why don't we start with the first one? The first one took place on April 30th, 1949 in Colville, Washington. All right. Daryl Webley was two years old when he went missing at 4 p.m. He was playing outside in his yard and his parents lost track of him and I just also want to say in regards to that, his parents lost, lost track of him. I'm sure a lot of people are listening thinking, how the hell do you lose track of your kid? But we've said it before on this show. It takes a second. You turn around like your other kid distracts you, wants to show you something. You turn around for 
three seconds and your kid could be like 500 yards away. They like zoom. Well, let's not get too crazy okay. about the 500 yards away. Okay. But I'm exaggerating. Yeah, but yeah maybe they, a little. It, it just takes a moment. Any, anybody listening that has children or has had children mm-hmm. will know, especially small kids like tod- in the toddler age, you, you know exactly what we're talking about. But anybody that doesn't, it's believe me it's it's easy. it only takes a second yeah. or two for them to actually get away or for you to not be focusing your 100 percent attention on them for the, for them to you know slip away and yeah. get lost so his parents lost track of him and he disappeared his parents searched for him they searched the yard they searched the area they were calling his name they were asking neighbors if they had seen him and when that didn't turn anything up, they went to local law enforcement. And local law enforcement asked for federal assistance. Now, Washington Highway Police responded, and along with a local sheriff's office from Spokane, Washington. And they called for canines to be used from the Coast Guard. Now, remember, back in 1949, it's not like it is today where almost every town has a canine unit. It's usually bigger departments or even... Coast Guard, military, have canines. So over 2,000 people searched for Daryl within a two-mile area of his house with no luck. And then at 5.30 a.m., the canines arrived, and they tracked his scent to a ravine one mile from the house. They found his cap, his pants, and one of his shoes. About 30 minutes later, up the cannon, Daryl was found alive, almost nude, scratched, cold, and wet. He was found 14 hours after going missing. And while he was missing, it rained and the temp dropped to 35 degrees. Chilly. Yeah. So let's talk about a few of the factors because there's certain criteria that usually come up in these missing 411 cases. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in order for it to be classified a missing four four one one case, there are these unique factors because g- people go missing all the time, but they may not necessarily fall into the category of what the missing four one one cases are. So, one of the first things, one of the first characteristics of a of a missing four four one one disappearance is the rural setting. So, all the missing people outlined. In the missing 411, I can't talk today. Oh my goodness. 411, <laughs> wow. First day with a new mouth? Yeah, I guess. Jeez. Uh, everybody that's that's outlined in the missing 411 project uh, disappeared from a rural, rural role. I can't even talk today at all. Um, unbelievable. It wasn't the city. Rural, it was outside uh, the city. Jeez. Yeah. So they're not in a city or a downtown location. There mm-hmm. are usually no witnesses and... Uh, significant cover and difficult terrain. So the woods most of the time. Or mountains. Right. Yeah. There's also usually water, whether it be a lake, a river, a creek. There's some kind of water source. Nearby. 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 Not Mm -hmm. always, but in in a lot of Usually. I mean, that's typically like the usual. Dogs play a part with this. So typically when dogs are called to to track people, Either they can't find a scent or they find a scent, but then You're it talking just... about bloodhounds. There's two different things because the dogs that play a part in a lot of these disappearances, mm-hmm. sometimes the dog is with the victim and they disappear with the victim, but they're found later with the person. 
Um, other times the dogs disappear and return home without the person. And sometimes the dogs disappear and are never found. Now, when you're talking about bloodhounds, when they're called But it's called not always bloodhounds that are used no, to search. Right. But I'm talking about just dogs. Now, when you okay. have a bloodhound or a canine and they're talk, you're talking yeah. about tracking a scent. A tracking canine. Yes. A canine brought in for tracking. They either can't find a scent or they do, but it leads to nothing. It's like it just goes cold. So often... It does. It, it's fruitless. The, the dogs can't find anything. In this case, the dogs were able to find little Daryl. Now, one thing that uh, David brought up in his book. David w- Politis. Yes. One thing he brought up in this book was that it's possible maybe it had something to do with these dogs weren't local to the area. Anything's possible. Yeah, who knows? But um, another thing that comes up a lot is there's weather events. Yeah, usually a storm of some kind Mm -hmm. that usually happens right around the time that the person goes missing or right after they've gone missing. Yeah. Uh, Now, there wasn't a storm for Daryl, but it rained. It rained. And and if it rains, that can mess with a a lot of different things. With the searching, and uh, Finding tracks. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, uh, a common time... For disappearances, a lot of them happen between 2 and 5 p.m. in the afternoon. So I don't know what it is about that time, but a lot of these disappearances happen around that time. So don't go hiking between 2 and 5. Yeah, if you can, if self. you can help it, right. Yeah. Uh, and also, a lot of the many, uh, many of the missing are found in the middle of or on the perimeter of a swamp and/or briar patch, mm. which is uh, interesting, especially when there's children because. How do, how do kids get out there? Yeah. Another weird thing is a lot of times people are missing clothes if they are found or they go missing and their clothes are found. So their shoes are missing, clothes, hats. Yeah. Things they would normally keep on them have gone missing. And especially it'll be cold. Why yeah. would a child or adult take off clothing or their shoes? Right. Running through the woods in the cold. <laughs> Good question. Yeah. Uh, and, and and a lot of times their clothing or the body of the person or the person themselves still alive, hopefully, mm-hmm. uh, is found in a place that was previously searched. Yes. That happens a lot too. Mm-hmm. Not always, but a lot. And they'll either Things go back and they'll up. find yeah. items, uh, you know, personal belongings, shoes, a, a you know, hat, shirt, whatever, something. whatever, something mm-hmm. that belonged to the victim. And they'll find it in a place that was previously searched or they go back and their body is found months or years yeah. later. The remains are found in a place that was searched. Yeah. It's it's pretty it's pretty weird. Now one other thing I'm gonna bring up because it falls into place with the next missing persons case, berries. A lot of times berries come up in these stories. People are collecting berries. They're out by like berry patches. And the next one, we're going to talk about Steve Martin from, uh, he went Well, missing. you forgot though. There's one more thing. Oh, what? That when these people are found, they're usually um, in, in either a, a semi-conscious state or, or they're conscious mm-hmm. and they just can't recall what happened to them and when they went missing. They'll, yeah. they, they'll or be, they'll, they'll be like very sick. Um, they can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of times they're... Like there was uh, one story we read where a, uh, a a woman was found in a tree. Yeah. She had no idea how she got there. 
she had no and, recollection and of that's anything something else that's really weird about these cases is like where sometimes people are found like scents go cold and it's been thought how do they they've gone up in trees and how does that happen did they climb up did somebody put them in there there's so many bizarre factors yeah. Yeah. It, so that's why they're all missing 411 yeah. cases. Now go ahead and uh, get so back to that next case. The next case. case is about Steve Martin, not the actor. Steve was 15 years old when he went missing on August 16th, 1975, in Petite Lake, Washington. Steve was part of his high school class uh, cross country team from Spokane, Washington. Spokane. Spokane, sorry. Spokane, Washington. Can, you can tell I'm not from there. Spokane. Spokane, no. Spokane. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he was spending a week at the lake for training. So what the cross country team was doing over there, there were these logging roads in the area and the team would go running up and down these logging roads. Around noon one day on the day of the 16th, Steve ran off wearing his cross-country shoes, a sh- uh, his shorts, shirt, and he was never seen again. Around 4.30 p.m., his group realized he didn't return and a search began. Now, if he went out at noon and by 4.30, they're like, oh, where is he? For anyone who isn't familiar with cross-country, they, if, if you're training cross-country, you can be gone for a couple hours because right? Right. you're running. So I feel like that's a pretty normal time for somebody to be like, yeah, where is he? It's been four and a half hours. So they began to search. The local sheriff and U.S. Forestry Service responded. That night, rain and fog hit the area, making a search very difficult. The search was halted for two days due to bad weather. Steve's teammates mentioned he may have gone off trail to pick huckleberries and so searchers combined the roads and the trails but had no luck the formal search lasted a week with no clues and on july 14 1976 two u.s forestry service employees were conducting a survey about two miles north of petite lake and 300 yards from the nearest trail and they stumbled onto bones and clothing that were in extremely uh, in extreme extremely dense brush and heavy timber they found steve martin they found his shoes and his clothes his bones are scattered over a 40 foot area his glasses were found 20 feet from his skull. And it looks like the local sheriff stated that it appeared Steve got lost, panicked, and died of exposure. The location of his body was in Sema Meadows, and that's an area that had one of the main logging roads, which was a road that would be hard to miss. That road is the main road that runs to Petite Lake and a road Steve probably had run. Now, with this story, there's a few things that come up with this. First of all, they had to halt the search for two days. And in the book, it mentions his mother making comments about things. It doesn't mention anyone else in the family, but I just think I get rain and fog I don't care if it's snow. I would want to be out there searching for my kid. And I can't imagine how hard it must be if your child is in another town somewhere, how many hours away, and 
they're searching for him and then they have to stop and you can't do anything about it. That I, I don't even want to think about how awful that is. Yeah. Can but imagine. I just think as a parent, I would be like, F that I'm going out there and searching for my kid. Yeah, you wouldn't. You'd probably get lost yourself. So I don't care. A lot of good that does you yeah. or anyone else. I'd have to find my kid. Right. Sure. You by yourself are going to find him huh? out in the snow and the rain. Huh? It's my kid. Do anything for my kids. But uh-huh. I'm Including just Including die looking for them. No, because I'm determined. Right. Not saying that they were. I'm just saying like me, how I am. I, yeah. I'd make uh-huh. it happen. Sure. Carry on. But the sheriff's office said he probably got lost, panicked. If he's by the, if he was found by the main road. And and that's the weird thing that kind of came up was. Yeah. If he was by a main road, why didn't he just go he, to the road? If and, he knew the trails. Yeah. If, yeah, he, was if he was lost, why wouldn't he just go to the main road? If he was that close to the road, it just didn't really make much sense. And I know they need to find an explanation, but it, I just, I felt like that was kind of bizarre. Yeah. You find that a lot with, with a lot of these cases, the local authorities, I guess, for lack of mm-hmm. a better word, whether it be the forestry service or the local police or sheriff that gets called in. A lot of times they'll give these excuses f- for when they find the person uh, or, or when somebody goes missing. They'll have these weird rationalizations and explanations. And a lot of times you're just like scratching your head going, am I supposed to believe that? Yeah. Like, really? Are you kidding? So, yeah, that's that's another one of these characteristics that's a little telling yeah it's um it's just kind of one of those things where i just think that they probably need to find an excuse but it makes me wonder do they really know what's going on and they can't say anything or do they not have any clue and so they're just throwing something out there that kind of makes sense i'm inclined to believe it's probably a little of both i think they have suspicions of what's going on Maybe maybe some of them even do know what's going on and they just give the old company line mm-hmm. is what I call it now because they're just, you got to give an excuse to, for most people to just be pacified because most people are, they're just pacified as if you give them some kind of an excuse yeah. or you give them some kind of a reason. Doesn't mean they're going to like the reason, but at least you give them something and it pacifies people, which yeah. is pathetic it's, if you think about it. But that's but that's really what happens. Yeah. But but it, but it happens all the time. True. This is this is the official story. This is the reason, and you're left going, what? Seriously? <laughs> but that's what happens. Mm-hmm. So so the unfortunately next for for us, it, well for Mr. Martin, he was not found. And no. That's that stinks. Yeah. The next story, it's weird because it's in the book and it doesn't really seem like a missing 411 case. And that's why I wanted to bring it up. Yeah, this one is, uh, this one gets a little little crazy. Yeah. So this is about Nancy Moyer, who was 36 years old from Tanina, Washington. And she disappeared on March 6th, 2009. Nancy was the mother of two girls, ages 9 and 11. She was employed by the Fiscal Office of Washington State Department of Ecology in Lacey. And that is approximately 30 minutes from her town. 
I looked it up. It didn't say it in the book. I was just curious how far away it was, so I mapped it. <laughs> yeah, this is the case where you, you went and did a little bit of uh, additional research. That I was did, not in the and book. I was just looking for it, and I closed out the thing in my phone, so I don't have oh, it. Oh, shoot. I thought I saved it, and I did not. Uh, That's okay. okay. I kind of remember. Right. That's, I, I remember a lot of this. Go ahead. So... The night of Nancy's disappearance, she did give a co-worker a ride home. Nancy was still married, but she had been separated for two years to Bill Moyer. They shared custody of their girls. Bill had them that weekend, and they, he came over Nancy's house to drop them off Sunday evening. When they showed up, they found the front door was unlocked. Her car was in the driveway. Inside the house, the heater and TV were on, and a glass of wine was sitting on the table. Her purse and keys were on the kitchen table, but Nancy was gone. Detectives from Thurston County Sheriff's Office turned the investigation into a homicide to give it high pri highest priority. Now, a little bit about Nancy's home. It sits in a rural area with no fences and open space between the homes. So if something was happening, a neighbor would probably have noticed. You'd like to think. You'd like to think. Tonino is, uh, is approximately three miles east of I-5 and 10 miles south of Olympia. Elevation of 400 feet with dozens of small lakes, creeks, and rivers. The mountains and hills are covered by dense woods and forest. So again, a rural area and... What I thought when I first read this story, at first you're thinking, okay, she disappeared. Maybe she just ran away. She was kidnapped. But then you're thinking, okay, missing 411. Was she outside? Did she hear a noise? Did she go outside to investigate? And then that's how she disappeared? There could be a number of things. And so I was thinking, okay, it's got to be something because of where she lived, that's why it's missing 411. Because it's really weird. Somebody just disappears in their house. Like everything's on and they're just missing. But the door was open, right? It was unlocked. Or unlocked. Okay. Well, I think it's because if she she lives in a rural... I can't say rural? a damn word. Rural. Why can't I say that if word If she today? lives in a town. She lives in that area that's uh, woodsy and not in a big city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll say it like that because I can't say the R-U-R-A-L word for some reason. <laughs> Sorry, baby. That's, that's all right. But no, I think that's why it is. And, and also there's no witnesses around. So who's to say she didn't go out into her yard and yeah. go into the woods for a stroll or something? I mean, you know, that's I think that's why it's it's in here because of the area and because it does have a couple of the characteristics that would qualify it for being a missing 411 case. Yeah, Uh I did a little more research, too. Was there any more from... No, that was that really was, that it. That was it from the book? Yes. Okay, so this is where you got all Nancy Drew on us and went and did, did some uh, internet sleuthing? Yes. All right. So here's the thing. I was like, this happened in 2009. It wasn't that long ago. We have the internet. We had it back then. Let me look it up. Maybe, because, I mean, the latest thing in here in this book is 2009. Maybe something came up. So I looked it up, and I found some stuff. All right. Please share. In 2019, a man confessed to killing her. And his name was Eric Roberts, and he was a neighbor. Now, Not, the, not Julia Roberts' no, brother. Not no, the not, not okay. related to 
the famous did, Robert. Did I he know Steve Martin? <laughs> no, I don't All believe right. so. This is a bad joke. So basically, this guy said he choked her. Now, here's where it gets weird. He said that he choked her. Um, I guess at one point he said that they were having rough sex and he choked her, but it was an accident. And so he panicked and buried her in his backyard. At <sighs> another point, he said that he choked her and I guess a scarf was brought up. He choked her with a scarf, um, but he said he had choked her. He killed her. But then the cops, uh, one article I read said the cops came, they checked his property. They did find something of interest, but no remains. And what while, was this something of interest? Was that ever I specified? Find it, no. Interesting. Now, he was arrested when he said he killed her, but no charges were ever pressed. And he later recanted his story. He said that he was on medication at that time when he admitted to it and that he never did that. Must have been some good drugs he was oh on if it goodness. gets him to go and confess to murder and come up with this elaborate confession. Yeah. We had rough sex and I choked her with a scarf. And I panicked, so I buried her in the backyard. Like, what? What kind of medication would make you say something like that? Was he listening to, like, Guns N' Roses? I used to love her. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah, it could be. So here's where it gets really weird. On August 8th, 2010, 26-year-old Bernard K. Howell III was pulled over in Tonino, not far from where Nancy was last seen. In the passenger side of his truck was the body of Vanda Boone, who was 60. She was wrapped in a sleeping bag, sheet, and plastic, according to a probable cause. Now, this article I'm reading is from... probable cause what? I'm sorry, probable cause affidavit. All right, thanks. This article is from Oxygen.com. And so Oxygen obtained that information. Interesting. Her throat had been slit. She had blunt force trauma to her head and neck, and she had been asphyxiated either by strangulation or smothering, reported the Olympian. Was that a... That must be the newspaper. That's the newspaper, okay. Howell would later admit to having sex with Boone's corpse after killing her, according to the probable cause affidavit. Following his arrest, police considered Howell a person of interest in Nancy's disappearance, according to the Olympian. So, this guy... They linked, They thought this guy might be linked to Nancy's murder. Now, here's some more information. Howell was a door-to-door meat salesman inside and inside Moyer's, um, Nancy Moyer's freezer. Police found the same brand of meat that Howell had been selling. Uh, okay. Yeah. What, what brand of meat was it? They don't say, which is probably good because nobody would ever want to buy that <laughs> meat ever again. So Sam Moyer, who is Nancy's daughter, also picked out Howell in a photograph montage as the same man who had once sold Nancy meat, said one of the detectives, Detective Hamilton. Huh. So the daughter of the victim recognized this guy as having come to the house and sold the meat. Thank you. I was just going to say that. Thank you for repeating yourself. I was just making sure I had it right, but okay. In an interview with retired Thurston County Sheriff's Detective David Haller, Howell denied any involvement in Nancy's murder or ever selling her meat, according to Detective Hamilton. To To date, no evidence has linked Howell to Nancy's case and no further charges have been brought against him. 
In 2011, Howell pled guilty to Boone's murder and was sentenced to 26 years in prison, according to local NBC affiliate King 5. Now, 26 years for all that he did to that woman? That's all you get for murder? That's all you get? In Washington State. That's messed up. Well, I mean, they just let people that set fires up there go now and... They're not. They don't press charges for anything anymore. Like Seattle, all these people that are trying to set fire to he, places he and attack law enforcement. Killed a woman yeah. and then defiled her body. Yeah, twenty six years. Yeah. Twenty six years. Why not? I thought that kind of stuff got life, like so, three life terms. And how old was he when he was arrested? He was young. Um, yeah, right? he was younger. He was. He was early twenties, right? Let me see if it says. It does. It says a tough 26 years old. There you go. Okay. So he was 26. So he's going to be out by the time he's 50. Maybe 52. Maybe sooner if he gets like, you know, paroled for good behavior or some nonsense, right? It's it's insane. That's messed up. It is. It's crazy. Yeah. That's, um, that's so beyond messed up. But it's one of those things where it was missing 411. However, I thought it was kind of weird. And I thought because it's more recent, let's see if anything happens. Yeah. Good, good. Good on you. So there's some information on that. that. So there's one more story that you're actually just going to read because it's a lot of information. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to refer to the book here. So uh, this case. Again, I'm reading it right from the book Missing 411 by David Politis. So pick it up. It's uh, a lot of a lot of interesting info. Pick up all of his books. Yeah, all of them. I mean, he's got a a series of them out. So, and they're all very, very fascinating. Mm -hmm. Corey Fay, missing November twenty third in nineteen ninety one, and he was seventeen years old when he went missing. Now he went missing at around six thirty p.m. west of Teague Valley, Oregon. Now this says Oregon. I thought we were doing all Washington. Okay, so the reason why. This one is listed. There's a couple of Oregon um, disappearances, but it was right on the Washington border. It was so close to Got Washington, it. that's why they counted it as Washington. All right. Thank you for and clearing that And there's like a little map that they have and you can, of Washington. And per usual missing 401, there's clusters. So there's a lot of different clusters of disappearances happening in certain areas. So I think because it fit in near these clusters that's why they put those in there all right thanks for clearing that up so on to the case the disappearance of Corey fay a student at jesuit high school in beaverton oregon ranks in my list of the top 10 most unusual cases i describe in my two books Corey was a junior in high school when he asked mark mopin if he could accompany him and his friend elk hunting in a region west of teague valley on the fringe of the badger creek wilderness Mark was a good friend and agreed to bring Corey along. Corey had training in outdoor survival and had hunted in the past. He knew what to do in case of emergency or if he was ever lost. He carried an emergency solar blanket, a compass, extra food, ammunition, a small backpack, and a rifle. The three young men arrived at their hunting spot and decided to split up until 6.30 p.m. when they had agreed to arrive back at the vehicle. That was the last time anyone saw Corey. The afternoon was cold and the hunting fruitless. Mopin later told investigators that they were in the correct spot, a spot he knew there were elk, yet inexplicably, jeez, I can't, you know, I don't know what's wrong with me today, yet inexplicably, they didn't see any when they arrived back at their vehicle. Corey wasn't there. He never arrived, so they called the sheriff. 
I just want to stop you and talk about the elk. It, it's kind of weird. It's a known spot for elk, but there were none there. That's that just kind of adds to the spooky factor with everything going on. I just want to put that comment in. Thank you for interjecting. You're welcome. Let's see if I can find my place again because now I've lost it. Oh, there it is. Thank you. The Wasco County Sheriff's Office was the lead agency in the search for Corey. The search and rescue included helicopters with special search capabilities, equestrians, hikers, and seven of the best trained search dogs in the world from the Rocky Mountain Search and Rescue in Salt Lake City. A total of 250 searchers scoured 12 square miles for 10 days and did not find one trace of Corey Fay. There were many theories about what happened to Corey. The one that got the most press supposed that he may have been accidentally killed by another hunter and buried. However, cadaver dogs never found a grave site. There were also theories that Corey may have survived for a long time, and one searcher thought they may have found a campsite with an old fire, but this was never confirmed. With so many searchers and substantial air support on this search and rescue, it is doubtful that Corey lived long after he initially disappeared. Otherwise, I believe they would have found him. And that makes sense. You yeah. would think that with so many resources, they'd find this kid. And, and, and it's just kind of, well, let me just continue reading. The, offici- the official, I can't talk. Do you want me to take over? It's okay. The official search was terminated on December 1st, but many volunteers kept the effort going for many weeks. The Wasco County Sheriff was so perplexed by Corey's disappearance and the lack of evidence, he called the FBI and asked for their assistance in unraveling what happened. There wasn't much activity on Corey's case until September 1992, when two hunters were hunting a ridge 10 miles from the point where Corey was last seen. They found his backpack and his rifle. Another searcher found Corey's jacket more than a mile away from his other belongings. The hunters notified authorities. Corey's items were located at an elevation of 6,500 feet and 10 miles from where he was last seen. A quarter mile from his backpack, searchers found small bone fragments and one tooth. The sheriff stated that Corey would have been in snow up to his waist for more than five miles at the point the discovery was made. An article in the Eugene Register on September 18, 1992, reported the following, quote, Authorities know the snow was deep there because a helicopter had spotted tracks during an intensive search for Fay last November. The tracks turned out to be animals, but the snow was almost waist deep, and that was a good three miles from where the items were discovered yesterday. End quote. The article later states the searchers didn't believe Fay could have gone as far as he apparently did. An interesting sidelight to this finding is that a September 19, 1992 article in the Eugene Registry, Register excuse me, clearly states that Corey's grandparents told the press that the boy was trained to follow a stream downhill if he ever became lost. This is odd because the article makes you believe that Corey did just the opposite. The sheriff makes it clear that back in November 1991, his helicopter crews did see tracks on the ridgeline near where Corey was found. He makes it sound as though they landed and determined they were animal tracks. However, if the snow in the area was new and four feet deep, no helicopter would land there because it would blow the snow and evidence away. This assertion by the sheriff sounds like he really didn't know but was instead guessing. Corey was found 3,000 feet higher in elevation than where he was last seen and 10 miles from the point he should have been hunting. Could he have covered this distance and elevation in less than a day in waist-deep snow? 
Remember, the sheriff stated that he didn't believe Corey could have made it that far, and that's why the search didn't focus on this location. Was the sheriff correct? You may need to go back and again read what was found on the ridgeline. They did not find Corey's pants, boots, or socks. In Charles McCullough's story in Crater Lake, the interview with the ranger who discovered his body states that McCullough's boots were never found. The ranger stated he had always found boots with the bodies he recovered. Boots are heavy. They don't disappear. What is equally unusual about the discovery of remnants of Corey's body is that no skull was found and only one tooth could be located. This is all that was recovered, even though the sheriff sent in 30 people to do grid searches of the ridgeline across a one and a quarter mile area. Searchers did not, did not find large bones normally associated with finding a skeleton, a femur, ribs, hip, vertebra, etc. This case disturbs me greatly. Me too. There are many similarities in other cases in this book, including those of Springfield, Montana, Shiler and Yukon, Huggin in Ontario, and McCullough at Crater Lake. The fact that searchers could only find bone fragments, no skull, and only one tooth is highly unusual. The fact that Corey's gun, backpack, and other personal belongings were strewn along a ridgeline strikes me as bizarre, nothing any hunter would voluntarily do. Corey's disappearance and the sheriff's lack of initially... Sheriff's lack of initially found evidence was deemed unusual when the search was nearing completion. Corey was a smart boy. He was well-trained and knew not to walk uphill. Anyone who has spent time outdoors in the winter knows that it gets colder the higher you go. Rain turns to snow and that leads to hypothermia. Corey was trained to follow creeks and rivers downhill, which will eventually lead you to a roadway and civilization. You will read about several hunters in Oregon, Washington, and Idaho that disappeared while elk hunting. Many of the facts of their disappearances do not make sense. As you read about these incidents, think about these facts and ask yourself, could these things have voluntarily occurred, or was there something else at play? I believe that the Wasco County Sheriff believed something highly unusual happened to Corey, something so unusual and so beyond his investigative ability that he got the FBI involved. Remember, the FBI does not get involved in any missing person cases unless there is some evidence of a crime, abduction, kidnapping, etc. Here's another case where the FBI gets involved in a rural disappearance, yet law enforcement does not tell the press any facts justifying the FBI's involvement. Questions to consider in this disappearance. Where are Corey's boots, socks, and pants? Why would Corey remove his coat? Why would Corey drop his firearm? Why would Corey do everything contrary to his survival training? Could Corey have walked three miles in waist-deep snow on a cold ridge line? And why would it and why would he if he looked below and saw there was no snow? Why would he even be on a ridge line in cold weather? Why would he be 10 miles from the point he needs to be at in a one-day hunting trip? Why would the sheriff summon the FBI unless there was evidence of a crime? Where are the rest of Corey's bones? All interesting questions in that So is the end of that case. Here's some stuff that obviously comes up. Yeah. We've heard other stories about, you know, we've talked about clothes go missing. Now... In the missing 411 movie, remember the story? There was a little boy who went missing and they found him like at the top, like he was up towards like the top of a mountain. Right. 
And it's like, they were like, how could he have even gotten up there? And I guess they thought, like, could it be a large bird? But he was probably too big for a bird to pick up and carry up there. But a lot of cases where, like, these people go higher elevation when they normally wouldn't, especially trained people. And even, like, for a kid, it's harder to go up a hill. It's harder to go up a mountain. It's more effort. And yet they're doing that, and especially in bad weather, it makes no sense. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Uh, it makes you wonder, are they being led that way? Are they being carried by something? And I, I had almost forgotten. You just reminded me because I brought it up the first time we did this. It made me think, remember the episode we did on New England cryptids? The Pukwudgie. Yeah. Uh, the Pukwudgie would, one thought was it would hypnotize people and lead them off cliffs. And so it made me think, not necessarily that it's the Pukwudgie, but is there something that's entrancing people? Is it some kind of frequency or sound wave or something that is either hypnotizing people or somehow entrancing them so they don't know what they're doing? And they're just on like autopilot and it's almost like this thing is giving it instructions and they're just automatically doing it unknowingly. Very possible. It's very possible. I mean, something's going on because how are they getting to a lot of these places that they're where they're found, where their bodies are found or when they're found alive? How are they getting to places? How are they showing up in places where that were previously searched? Now, none of the cases we talked about today had that happened, but. In a lot of these cases, their belongings turn up, like we said earlier, or the person themselves, you know, thankfully alive, but they're they're found in a spot where searches were were at. They went through it and they couldn't find them. They didn't have any sign of them, and, and they're in a daze and they don't know how the hell they got there. They can't remember it. They can't verbalize it. A lot of times, it's a it's a special needs child, yeah, and they can't verbalize mm-hmm. what happened to them. Uh, and and those that are not handicapped in any way that are found have no memory or recollection of what happened to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost like they were hypnotized yeah. or something. Yeah, pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. But so. it's also weird, like, why is it only, like, small bones, one tooth? Like, you know stuff scatters. And we've talked about yeah. this before when we talked about um, Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have animals, things scatter, but... It just seems like something else should have been found. What do you mean animals, things scatter? What oh, does sorry, that mean? Oh, sorry, animals, they they eat, they like, you know what I mean? They Are you talking about remains bones? of yeah, bones? Yeah, okay. remains. You might want to tell people what you're talking sorry, about. I know what I'm talking you about. You know what you're talking about. Nobody I else apologize. knows what you're talking about. The animals <laughs> scatter the remains. So, you know, they'll be like picking at the meat as it decays. And I don't want to get too graphic. But yeah, so they scatter the bones. So, but usually a little bit more is found. It's yeah. just weird. It's very bizarre. And that's why it's a missing 411 disappearance. Now, before we wrap this up, something else, I wanted to share something else I found online that I thought was interesting. Okay. One of the things that's been brought up is how the U.S. Forestry Service, they don't do anything. They have no record of missing persons. They don't keep track of people who go missing uh, in state parks. So while I was searching stuff for missing 411, I came across a website and it looked like it was from the U.S. Forestry Service. And it had a list of cold cases of people who went missing in state parks. Were these cases pulled from the missing 411 books and put up on this website? I did not cross 
cross-reference them so i don't know okay but and, and maybe it wasn't actually the u.s forestry service but that's how it was set up to look like but i just thought okay that's interesting that maybe now they're doing something well david politis has put a lot of focus on this topic he's he's made people aware a lot mm-hmm. of people aware because a lot of people buy these books a lot of people now have seen his movies they're they're free on amazon prime right now and they're and they're they make you think they definitely make you think and they make you turn into a detective yourself i find mm-hmm. my every time i read a story i try to figure out okay what, <sighs> what could this have been okay how what many could this have been how many episodes have we done on missing 411 now right. and it's like every time i have a different theory of what it could be yeah yeah it's 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 really it gets you, it gets you thinking. That's that's it all does, I can but say. But it's also frustrating because like you truly want to find these people and you want to prevent this from happening to other people, and it, it's hard because you want to do something, you want to figure it out. But I don't know. Maybe it's a number of things. Maybe it's. I don't think that it's one thing that's happening to people. I don't think that every one of these disappearances is being done by the same phenomenon. We'll call it because we don't know what it is or what's happening. Mm-hmm. But I think that a lot of them are connected by all the characteristics that that they all share. But I don't think it's just one thing. I think it's probably a number of things. And I think that hopefully someday somebody will figure it out. And I do think I'm of the opinion the government knows what's going on. Oh, I'm sure. The military, the government. Somebody pe- knows. People in, in charge. They know what's going on, and but they're not mess, doing anything about it. What's messed up is if that is really true, the fact that if you know what's going on and you have some way to possibly prevent it from happening and you're doing nothing, that's just beyond criminal. Well, I, I think that uh, it's being allowed to happen. And I think that it could be something that maybe they just don't have a way of preventing, but they do know that it's happening. They know what it is, in my opinion, and, and I don't have anything to base it on, just my distrust of the government more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just, just things that have come out over the years about things that the government and the military-industrial complex does to its citizens and people. Mm-hmm. I, I just have no trust. And I think that they, they... I don't think that they're the ones doing it, in my view. I think it's some kind of a natural phenomenon that's occurring, whether it's a creature or an entity or something like... Or, or it could be just a natural weather phenomenon or something, something... Mm-hmm. In the I don't, I don't know I don't know we don't know nobody does but I think that they they allow it to, to occur and and I, when I say they allow it to occur I don't mean that they're just not doing anything about it but they're not even informing people about what it is that's the messed up part at that's least if the it was something like hey there's this entity that's causing this so you need to be careful be aware this could happen but I look at it like if that's really the case it's in numbers they don't want to lose money because so many people would stop going to state parks so many people would stop hiking so many people you think that this is a monetary that's that's the uh, motivation oh, behind this I'm is sure monetary everything comes down to money R- really when you it th- comes to the government yes because I'm sure they make trillions of dollars every year from people going to state parks you you really think this is a monetary I motivation? I, I, don't I say think it's, it's just only, but I think that definitely has something to do I, with it. I think you don't want people afraid. Well, you, that well, that's I think more than anything, it's they're not telling people what's going on because they don't want to create a panic and fear. But because remember, the people are too stupid. We're like dumb, stupid sheep who don't know how to think for ourselves. 
All right, we, we've gone way off now. Just going back to a previous yeah, episode. Yeah, we, we've gone way off okay. track now. But I, in my view, I think that again, that's what it is, and whatever. We'll yeah. see if if we ever figure out what uh, what's causing these disappearances or what's behind it. Because again, it's not just in the United States. This is happening it all does. over the world. Yeah. So it's not just something that's just unique to our country. So what I want to know is, every so often we do these missing four one one episodes. If any of our listeners have a specific area they want us to talk about. Well, if they do, they can let us know yes. by reaching us on social media. Mm-hmm. Nice segue there, honey. Yeah. So we have a uh, Twitter account. At Pod. Instagram. Podcast. And we're on Parlor mm-hmm. At Pod. And uh, you can watch us. Not this episode. Well, you can watch this episode, just not this version of it, mm-hmm. uh, by following us on YouTube and subscribing to the channel there. And you can also find us on Brighteon yes. as well. Please subscribe and like our videos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and if, uh, if you don't mind, also, wherever it is that you get your podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts, go ahead and hit the subscribe button there, please. And... Uh, if you don't mind, leave us a five-star review, too. We yeah. really, really appreciate the support. We really do. Yeah. So you got anything else you want to add before we uh, sign off? No, that's it. Just thank everyone for listening. We hope that they enjoyed this episode. Yeah, for sure. And and definitely reach out to us because yeah. we'd love to. Uh, we, we like doing these episodes. They're, mm-hmm. they're, yeah. they're fun, but they're troubling in some cases oh, yeah. as well yeah if there's a certain uh, area you want us to talk about a certain state or a certain case like a specific person or something let us know absolutely let us know and until next time what would we what are we going to talk about next time did we to be uh tell anybody I, no well i think we talked about it we were talking about i have a few episodes i want to do all right we watched a movie and we watched a movie no we watched a movie and it was pretty awesome and it kind of has to do with what we talked about so i want to talk about the movie it's actually they had a sequel too so So we're gonna talk about two movies two movies all right cool so tune in next week well and the other thing (laughs) i want to talk about is as we get closer to halloween i want to i'm going to be searching for any creepy um, New England mysteries or new, anything in New Hampshire or New England something really creepy to talk about yeah we might want to narrow that down to like just New Hampshire okay, since so that's where we live because if you're saying New England I mean all you gotta do is top of the sale witch trials for okay. one well, but I there's so many like, there's so like many things mysteries. in New England yeah something weird yeah so let's why don't we focus on New okay, Hampshire fine. how's that there you go you don't have to yell at me Jeez. I will why are you getting so angry because I love you okay well, I love you too all right so, so we will be back next week. Yes. And until next time, I am the Golden Greek Alex Arion. I've been joined, as always, by my beautiful, lovely, gorgeous, amazing trophy wife, Monique. And you've been listening to the Homewrecker Podcast.